This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. If you could travel through time, where would you go? Oh boy. <laughs> I don't I can't do this without being that Louis C. K. sketch about how time travel is only safe for white men. Oh, that's a good point. And I don't want to like give his comedy a whole bunch of airtime for like different reasons. Why does everybody at all times in history have to be terrible? Is the question I that's guess. That's a I have. good question. What about you? <laughs> I well, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And I don't really have a good answer as much as I remember one time in middle school when my band director asked the question and I said the 1980s and when pressed to why I think I said metal. I think it was because I was into metal music at the time. Oh, metal music. Okay. Not like precious metals from the <laughs> 80s. But I think I the, just... The 80s is when they discovered super gold. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Looking back on it, no one seemed to think it was a good answer at the time. And I well, still... Well, because at the time it was like six years ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't that long ago. Well, none of my middle school friends were like, oh, this kid's into the 80s rock and roll. I I just, it out. wasn't like you needed to wait to ride that VH1 I Love the 80s wave yeah, that's to true. really catch the nostalgia. Yeah, if I'd said it in high school, I would have been real cool is what yeah, I'm but saying. But you said it during that time. Like, There's that period of 10 to 15 years where things are old without being retro cool. Yeah, it's a really sad time. For a lot, mm-hmm. I I, yeah. I feel that way about the turn of the millennium right now. Yeah, it'll come back. It'll all come back. Great. Let's talk about books. Uh, each week, one of us reads a book and talks to the other person, and you, the listener, about it. Andrew, you read a book this week. I what did. was it? It was Kindred by Octavia Butler. Cool. What's that book? Uh, it's about time travel and slavery. Two things. Okay. Neat. Hmm. Uh. <laughs> what can you before we, the, it's a lot there's a lot to dig into as you as, as you might be able to surmise but what can you tell me about Octavia Butler I can tell you that Octavia Estelle Butler was born in 1947 she was nicknamed Junie as a kid short for junior her mom's name was also Octavia um and unfortunately we uh lost Butler in 2006 she died unfortunately young um, do I think due to like complications from a stroke or something? But she had mm-hmm. already won like multiple Hugo's and Nebula awards for science fiction writing. She was the first sci-fi writer to receive the MacArthur Fellowship. I think that was in the mid '90s. Uh, she was born in Pasadena. Uh, her dad died when she was young, so she spent a lot of time with her mom while her mom was working as a housekeeper, which is. Uh, relevant to this book because she remembers being kind of resentful of how her mom, uh, who uh, was a black woman working for white homeowners and whatever, was like putting up with their crap all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and didn't really get how or why her mom would do that and came around as as a lot of us do come around to our our parents decisions as a sense of like they were doing it to get by they were doing it on my behalf um and that kind of factors into where this book comes from we'll get to that yeah definitely um she got her first typewriter when she was 10 she asked for it for her birthday i think i got a tv when i was 10 <laughs> When I was 10, I think I got Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the Super Nintendo game. That's, That's the only good... thing I can remember for sure getting when I was 10. Okay. Ten, the TV at 10 was like a rite of passage in my house. I don't 
Really? I don't know why. Just like a like a car at sixteen. Yeah, my grandma lived with us, and she gave us each a TV when we turned ten. I was told not to tell my cousins about it. Whoa. So. So you all had TVs in your rooms by the time you were 10? I think that's, that's a lot of TVs. I think that's the rule. Yeah, I mostly used it to play Dang. Super Nintendo. Um, well, of course. At age 12, she decided, you know, she embarked on being a writer because she saw the movie Devil Girl from Mars and decided she could write a better story than that. <laughs> well, okay. well, Devil Girl from Mars is a 1954 sci-fi film about a Martian woman who comes to Earth to claim the world's men. And it's about the men fighting back against this space woman. This so yeah, matriarchal. Okay, cool. I, I'm fairly certain that Butler could and did write better stories. It feels like the kind of movie that the Gamergate people would try to get <laughs> remade. It involves them like tricking her and like uh, it's a mess. Um, she went on to study at Pasadena City College, um, where she got the idea for Kindred from a classmate of hers who criticized previous generations of Black Americans for being subservient to uh people white people in power uh particularly slaves and or enslaved people and her argument coming into this story which i'll want to talk to you about is how is some of that subservience a, a form of survival is, is her point of view on that yeah like most of it yeah is, so <laughs> uh she kept studying at csu and later a portion of ucla she met our uh, old friend of ours harlan ellison andrew oh that guy that guy um he was a teacher of hers and actually got her to the clarion sci-fi workshop in pa where she would later teach in her career um she got her for stories uh, sold in the 60s uh and then started the patternist series in 19 1970s that's like a quintet I believe she was working in day jobs and then finally was able to quit those. Kindred was published in 1979. Uh, she won her first Hugo for a short story in, called Speech Sounds in 84, as well as the novel Blood Child in 85. She has another trilogy of books called the Xenogenesis Trilogy. Um, and then, as I said, she got her MacArthur and then has a couple other stories from there. What so, is it about the, the trilogy as a, as a storytelling unit? It feels it's the three act structure, right? It's the classical three act structure that works. I mean, the first it works really well. You see it in a lot of the the films that come out in a trilogy, where like the first one feels like a complete story, but the end hints to something bigger. The second one, everyone's sad and all the bad stuff happens because everyone knows that the third one will fix it, right? Is, is that, that why works. every every like comic book movie franchise that's extended beyond three movies, or pretty much any franchise that extends beyond three movies, feels bad? Yes. Like, is that does that explain the fourth and fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Nothing explains them, Andrew. <laughs> they shouldn't exist. <laughs> uh, Butler is uh, considered a you know she writes, and this book is not quite a sci-fi book even though no, we can talk a bit about the yeah. genre i have a i have a bit of stuff she considered it literally to be a fantasy book or like a grim fantasy book sure but um it's also drawing a ton from uh, first person slave narratives oh so yeah i did did a little bit of research on on those um the ones people tend to know are things like incidents in the life of a slave girl by um by um harriet jacobs and then a narrative of the life of frederick douglas which is by this guy frederick douglas here he's very popular these days more and more people are learning about more and more people are acknowledging the work that he's doing yeah it's really it's good to have him around and i'm just doing doing the work um so yeah the those are not exclusively but often um like first person accounts from the perspective of of slaves or formal former former slaves about like conveying the horrors of of this life like generating sympathy and um fanning the flames of the abolitionist movement now there are also um, some earlier versions that are more focused on the individual and often have like religious undertones and then there are later post-civil war versions that are um, more focused on individual or racial progress, but yep. like the bulk of these stories, like the ones that you're gonna read about in um, in lit classes or, or or whatever, is it's gonna be mostly the 
the type of book that that kindred is is drawing from which is first person narrative from the from the perspective of a slave telling you about what it's like to be a slave yeah it was i did not realize i did some of the some overlapping research i didn't realize there are some of these recorded like audio recordings in the library of congress there's like 20 or something like that yeah Um, like you get into the very very earliest days of audio recording and like photography when you get yeah. into this 19th century stuff which is wild it was a big part of the the wpa during the new deal too of like going and, and getting oral histories from the south which i think was a that's yes cool. right yeah um and so the other thing to mention about butler's work in general is that it uh operates a lot of her other fiction aside from kindred operates in what uh you might call afrofuturism which a lot of folks are talking about with the film Black Panther that is out right now. Go um, see it. Go see it. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, and I know you're waiting for two white boys <laughs> to do a book podcast to tell you about it before you go to see this movie that's been out for two full weeks. But but just go, go see it. Just go. Just see go it. see it. Go see that one. Um, it's uh, a lot of sci-fi, uh, but not exclusively sci-fi, dealing with. Uh, themes and concerns from the African diaspora often envisioning like positive black futures or what uh, black futures, you know, absolved of colonialism might be like. Um, You also see it in ways that I find really fun in like the music of George Clinton and like Parliament Funkadelic and stuff like that. Um, Also, another thing to think about is butler's like this is a neo-slave narrative as separate from her future afrofuturism work and tony morrison's beloved is another one that's considered a neo-slave narrative um like works in the mid to late 20th century and early 21st post mostly post-civil rights movement that are works of historical fiction working in this slave narrative framework um right so that's a lot of butler's legacy um, her work often deals with like hierarchies. Um, there's an essay she wrote called it "A World Without Racism," where she says simple peck order bullying is the only is only the beginning of the kind of hierarchical hierarchical behavior that can lead to racism, sexism, ethnocentrism, classism, and all the other isms that cause so much suffering in the world. And there are so many other interviews where she like drops her her belief that hierarchy is this innate flaw in human reasoning mm-hmm. uh and a lot of her more uh more sci- like explicitly sci-fi works deal with like different species mingling and kind of like tolerance and diversity and open-mindedness as like an evolutionary step in humankind it, it might not be a thing that we get to without the influence of like cultures we haven't even dreamed of yet um which I find kind of fascinating. Um, sure. So let's take a quick break and then get into the book. Okay, let's do it. Cool. Andrew, this week, Overdue, is supported by our good friends at Cereal Box. Again? Again. Wow. They're here again. And Very generous of them. And that's good because Zero Box keeps going like week after week. Um, they bring you gripping stories <laughs> written by best-selling and award-winning teams of writers, kind of like a TV show's writer's room. You um, know, I heard that um, that somebody oh called them the HBO of reading. I think it was uh, National Public Radio called them that. Oh, NPR. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they've got serials that you can read or listen to, uh, and those options cost you nothing extra. Uh, the app actually lets you switch from listening to reading with a click. And they've got a bunch of different stories over there for you to check out. The one that I pulled up is called Book Burners, which is already in season three. The tagline um, is some books have teeth, which I think is pretty cool. Well, really? Like literally? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So in the first (laughs) season, magic is real and some books have teeth. Join Detective Sal Brooks, newest recruit to a black ops magic hunting team as she travels the world to to keep the supernatural in check. Just remember, watch your back and don't touch anything. And I I don't know what happens in season two, but the season three blurb mentions the Vatican and how they don't have a lot of support from it. And of course, humanity is is under threat. So like... Things escalate quickly in the yeah, book. It seems like it goes from zero to zero to Da Vinci Code in a 
pretty short order. Yeah, I'm, sounds pretty cool. Um, overdue listeners can get a discount on any first season of a Serial Box series. You just head to SerialBox.com and enter the promo code OVERDUE18. That's OVERDUE18 in numeral form. Uh, and the website is SerialBox.com, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com. Once again, the code is OVERDUE18. Check it out. Get your books week to week in your ears or in your eyes. Serial Box. Hey, Andrew, we're back. Hi. Hello. Now, I read this book in college. And oh, did you? I remember none of it. <laughs> I. That's uh, how good did you read it? I think it was in the part of freshman year where I was still transitioning from being a like mediocrely committed high school student, like not to being a mediocrely committed college, college student. student. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, uh. And I didn't click with the professor in that class, which is mostly on me. So my memories of this book are, are not strong. I'm going to need your help here. That's today. surprising because it's a it's I, I feel like it is a memorable book. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if maybe I didn't do as much of the reading as I should have. Big surprise. That's what, given what I know about you, that seems like the most likely. So, yeah. Thing, so you said actually. this book uh, is about time travel and slavery. Yeah, those two things. Okay. So (laughs) we open on this scene with uh, this woman named Dana and her husband, Kevin. Um, They are in the hospital. Something weird has happened. Like Dana has lost an arm. Okay. And the cops come in and they think like maybe Kevin did it, but Kevin didn't do it. Something else did it. Okay. It's clear that there it's clear that there are, are things afoot. Uh-huh. And then we go back slightly a couple months in time to like June of 1976. Oh, okay. Um Dana and Kevin have just moved into a new house and all of a sudden Dana gets dizzy and like falls down and then she wakes up in a place where she doesn't know where she is. And there's this red-headed boy in the middle of a river and he's like drowning and she like runs out and saves him. And then his mother and father are like, who are you? And they start like attacking her and then she blanks out and then she's back in the present again. Cool. Okay. Well, okay. We don't even know that it's the past yet. So I kind of blew the (laughs) thing. I blew it. Oh, but okay. So in the context of like how it's delivered in the story, you don't necessarily know that she went into the past. Like it's just, I knew because that's the only thing I knew about the book (laughs) going in. Sure. But sure. no, you you as the reader, if you were reading this and you knew nothing about it, you wouldn't be be sure yet. Okay. So she's like, "Whoa, what happened?" And Kevin is like, "One one minute you were on this side of the room, and then the, and then like a minute later you popped back up in the other side of the room, and you're all covered in mud and water and stuff, and I don't know what happened to you." And Dana tries to tell him what happened, and he's like, he believes her in that like spousal sort of way where like. I know you need me to believe you, so I'm going to, even though I don't really. Did he see her disappear? And we both know what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She just vanishes. So so he know it's that kind of belief where you know something weird happened. But your brain is already trying to be like, that's that's that that's not real. Yeah, sure. Okay, so she so she goes and she gets cleaned up and she's a little shaken and and she's kind of going about her day and then boom, she's gone again. Hmm. And she's back and she's in this house and this redheaded boy, a few years older than the one that she just saved, is like setting the drapes on fire. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. And so she runs over and she grabs him and throws him out the the window onto, you know, into the backyard. And she's like, yo, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, hey, I'm Rufus. And Rufus was the name of the boy that she'd saved from drowning before. Okay, so she learned Um, the same boy. And he's a little bit older, and she's like, hey, do you remember me from saving you from the river? And he's like, uh, kind of. And they talk a little bit, and he calls her the N-word. Oh. And then we get into a discussion about when it is, and it turns out that it's like 1815 in Maryland. So instead of being in California in 1976, which is where she lives, she is in 
Maryland, which is part of the South, like the northern part of the South, but still the South. Yeah. In um in like may, what maybe forty five or fifty years before the Civil War. Okay. It's oh that sounds like it's gonna be bad then. Yeah. <laughs> But then she goes. But then she goes back forward in time, and so, again, like a little bit more time has elapsed in the present, but still, it's like minutes. Okay, so it's like it's it's not proportionate to the amount of time that she was she was back in time. So she. So can you can you like guess for me what it is that like that is pulling her back and forth? Any time that he is in danger, that he yeah. is. Maybe yeah. in like gonna die. Or... I said guess like you hadn't read this book before. I'm just gonna treat you like you haven't. Oh read well, it before, honestly, because you seem like you haven't. Here's what I remember. <laughs> I remember the like the basic triangle of relationships. Like I remember her and Kevin. I remember uh, a revelation about Rufus that may or may not be very soon. Um, and I remember the loss of the arm, but I, I do not remember the order of events or, or anything like that. So sure. She is, and I don't remember how the how explicit the book is about anything. So she is being called back when he's in danger. Uh huh. Um, is he even aware at this point? I, he's just a little boy setting stuff on fire, so I don't think he knows what he's doing. This, I, I think, either the second or third time it happens, he figures it out. It's like oh. whenever he, whenever he. Either like and in some of the later times, I don't even know that he's aware that he is in mortal danger. But when he is in mortal danger, somehow she gets called back. And when she genuinely believes that her life is in danger, that's what sends her back to the 1970s. Oh, yeah. Okay. So so it is. She it and and it's never the time travel mechanic is never explained more than that except that that is the trigger that makes it work. It's not clear who, like where that power is coming from. It's not clear why, um, but it is something that both of them can control if they. Like Rufus never really exerts any control on it, but there is one, one moment where she, like, cuts her wrists. Oh, to like will a jump to, to happen. Yes, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So as a time travel story, before mm-hmm. we get into the meat of, of maybe the thematic concerns of this book, mm-hmm. figure maybe we talk about it as like a time travel tale in the vein of, you know, your, I guess that this came on the episode. Yeah, this came before <laughs> Back to the Future. So maybe, right? Or did it? Oh, good point. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so when she goes back, uh, crap, when she goes back to the future, when she arrives back in her own time. When she arrives in the 1970s. Let's refer to it by yes. calendar yeah, dates to, yeah. to be clear. Does she notice like appreciable? Is there a butterfly effect in the book anywhere? So not that she... Never on a small level. Like it's not it's not a thing where she's worried about any particular interaction with anybody okay. like totally irrevocably irrevocably changing the course of human history because like in real life, unless you are actually back like when life is literally forming, like of course that's what's usually gonna happen. If you're just like a person and you're you're mainly just trying to blend into the rest of society yeah probably you're not going to like pollute the timeline or whatever okay um but during one of her and again i don't remember if this is the second or the third you know time back in the 70s after after going back in time to the the 19th century but she does she either does a little research or just thinks back to what she knows about her family tree Okay. And she figures out that Rufus is like her great 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 grandfather on her mother's side. Okay. Like his his daughter with one of his slaves is her ancestor. Okay. Sure. So and so he and shows she she like the only butterfly effect thing that's even happening is she thinks you know, I got to keep this guy alive until my, you know, my forebear can be born or i won't be born so he is a boy who is gonna grow up to own people 
and she, he's a boy who's going to grow up to be a white man in the pre-Civil War South. So yes. you do the math. Yes. Uh, and she can't let him come to harm even as much as she might want to. Yeah, because like when she when he is a boy and she's sticking around and visiting him, she's like, OK, maybe I can spend enough time with him to like influence him and make him better oh, than okay. his time or like better than his dad. But. You know, she she is around at most, like even during her longest jump, she's around for a few months. Okay, there's not but when enough she time goes. But when she goes to the seventies, like years pass, and nobody else is trying to tell him not to call anybody yeah. the N word. Yeah. So, like, of course, her influence on him is going to be pretty limited. Has she explained to him that this is what's happening? Yeah, like not only does he understand and believe it, because like when anything that she is touching when she goes back goes with her. Oh. So she does. She actually puts together like a go bag <laughs> that she always has near to hand if she feels herself getting dizzy. That has like aspirin and clothes and a switchblade in it. Oh my gosh! Okay, <laughs> you know the things you would take if you're going back in time two hundred years. Yeah. Does she ever tell him what a TV is, is my question. No, they don't get into that. They do talk a little bit about medicine because her knowledge of medicine extends to clean things, disinfect yep. things, yep. don't let mosquitoes bite you because maybe they'll have malaria. Yes. And that makes her like a hundred times better than the nearest actual professional physician. Sure. <laughs> Because yeah. he's like, oh, you gotta bleed, you gotta bleed these babies so you can get all the poison out of them. Ugh. And she's like, oh, what if we just put salt water on it? Oh. <laughs> like, what if we? Yeah, that's a thing I remember mm. from Outlander too, which is another time travel story. That yeah, but doesn't... she's actually a nurse. Like yeah, you and me, <laughs> barely know. True. We don't know anything about anything. That's true. I would just be like asking wise. people and we would, we where the band be like, are. Yeah. yeah, I would be if I went back to eighteen hundred. I would be like house. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be wondering how to tell people about smartphones. Is really what I would and I wouldn't even be doing that. I'd be trying to remember. Okay, what's like the who won the first Super Bowl? <laughs> How can I make a bet that will pay off? Yeah. Yeah. And just make, if I'm stuck here, just make everything fine. Oh, yeah. Like, do people take bets on presidential elections? And how can I, how can I yes, use that? That's yeah, I could true. do that, I bet. Okay, that's good. Okay. John Quincy Adams, I'll say. <laughs> if everyone's like, oh, they'll never elect another John Adams, that would oh, be No. <laughs> no. Grover Cleveland, he, we already voted him out once. He'll never be back. Oh. He'll never be president on two non-consecutive occasions. I keep wanting to say, like, you know, <laughs> what are the Vegas odds on? And I don't know when Vegas was founded, so I can't. I don't want to. Like, what are the odds? Who, where do you go to bet on when Las Vegas was founded? Whoa! Could God make <laughs> Las Vegas? Wait. God would never have made Las Vegas. That's true. And. I have fun sometime. Unless mm, Vegas is just a test for all of us. Um, could God create a Las Vegas so corrupt that even he could not save it? There you go. There it go. There Clear it is. Mind. Now back to the book. Um, so Hi, how buddy, is we're back? How is this evolving? What are like the third and fourth jumps like? You said they get longer. Think, okay, so the the next big thing that happens is when she goes back one of these times. Kevin is holding on to her. Is that a thing that they had planned? No. Oh, dear. And she doesn't even know if he will go back with her if he's touching her. And guess what? He definitely does. Oh, boy. And so they are like at first they're or at least he is. He is like, hey, I'm a white dude. I can protect you because you know they talk a lot about and, and we can talk a little bit more about this in, in the in the sense of like what Butler is is trying to do with this book but they talk a lot about like the realities of what just being a a solo black person in the south is like yeah. where like even if you like if you are literate you can sometimes forge free papers that make okay. you look like you're free but even if you have free papers if someone comes upon you alone like who is going to yeah. Who's going to sigh with like, you're not going to go find the ACLU or whoever and like get them to protect your rights because you don't have any. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, a, a, a factor of her first couple jumps back is I am not, I cannot be alone and have white people come upon me because that's just going to go bad. Um, so initially they, they form this sort of agreement where like he's going to be, they're still going to be married, but they're going to be like from the North and she's going to be free. And he's just going to be, you know, he's going to be down South doing research for a book because that's like what he does in real life. I don't know if people did that in <laughs> 1815, like went places to research books, but sure. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, you're going to get the same weird looks wherever you go, but that's fine. Yeah, in whatever time period. It's like, you're really, what? Okay, fine. Are you, everybody, people have been wearing tweed sweater, like jackets for 200 years being yeah. crusty academics. So Yeah, and so they're just hanging around. Um, The last name of Rufus and his, his family, they're the Waylands. So they're just hanging around the Whalen house. Um, Dana is getting to know some of the other, some of the slaves. Um, I say, I say other slaves because that line starts to blur a lot, especially um, as Kevin like kind of dips in and out of the picture here. Okay. Um, and Kevin is like the, um, Tom Whalen, Rufus's dad has asked Kevin to help teach Rufus how to read because Rufus is just like bad at being a privileged person. Yeah. <laughs> he sure. doesn't, he wants to be privileged, but he doesn't want to do the work, which feels like, Woof, the, that sounds the like a best way to loop. be. Yeah, the best way to be privileged. Oh, God. Talk about um, time paradoxes. That's ugh, a privilege paradox. Ugh. And things are not great, but they do kind of settle into a rhythm because they're there for a few months. And um, Kevin one time says this thing. Uh, this could be a great time to live in. Kevin said once, I keep thinking what an experience it would be to stay in it. Go west and watch the building of the country. See how much the old west mythology is true. Um, and then Dana says, West, I said bitterly, that's where they're doing it to the Indians instead of the blacks. Uh, he looked at me strangely. He'd been doing that a lot lately. So Kevin is a character who is there like both to be like a progressive white guy from the 70s, but also to be kind of obsequious about things. Yeah, sometimes. no, that makes sense. Yeah, because um, also because 76 is like it's a bicentennial it's rah, rah, America's been here for 200 years. Yeah. And that's that's part of what. um you you had mentioned when you're doing research on Butler that a lot of the interviews of her and stuff are all like academic and so they're all hidden behind like JSTOR paywalls. <laughs> Many of them are, yes. But um yeah, some of the academia around this book has been like she she has been about, hey, it's a bicentennial. It's about getting America to like look at its super racist foundations and to reckon with them, which is a a an ongoing process. Sadly. So so as you you mentioned kind of where Kevin starts from a place where he thinks he knows what's up and obviously he's taken back in time and it's And like relatively speaking, yeah, sure he knows what's up. Yeah, like he, but he, he doesn't. Is, he has married a black woman and they do they do um Butler does make sure to note that um that Dana is pretty dark skinned. Okay. Because they do mention a couple times um sure. you know the the relative lightness of people's skin and that's a that's a thing that's been a thing in a lot of the books we've read this month yeah. and a thing it's, that is maybe under considered by non people of color yeah she's not passing for yeah. white or no anything like, like not that. in any not in any way could she could she yeah. pass at um so so um, i kind of i have a good sense of where kevin is you know in regards to like the realities of history but yeah like so he he married her even though his sister like was really, really, really mad about it. Like he, okay. he is, I'm not going to say he's made a ton of sacrifices to be with her or anything, but he has, he has married her and set up this life with her, even though it might've been easier in some ways for him not to. Sure. What is Dana's relationship or opinion to this past? If you have a sense of like what it is at the start of the book, like does, does this, is this, is her position closer to that that classmate of Butler's who's like, why why were people willing to survive this way? And then she is kind of like forced to confront that or is No, it's it's not a thing where she like has a really strident opinion about it and then is is made to believe otherwise. It's just okay. a thing where, you know, she is sort of aware of 
like and she talks about um yeah so so her family also kind of disapproves of the of the marriage just because she was raised by her uh, aunt and uncle i believe and her uncle wanted her to marry a black man okay um and she is dealt with some kind of some of the you know more subtle than slavery but you know she's she's dealt with some present day racism at her job and in her career as a writer where she only really starts to get anywhere after Kevin is like helping her, you mm-hmm. know, meet people and network and stuff. And even Kevin has like asked her to handle his correspondence sometimes. Like she's just dealing with, you know, microaggressions basically. Yeah, sure. Um, and just regular sized aggressions, I suppose. Um, and is now confronted with the time period and a reality where none of that is subtle and none of that is, uh, hidden or or people are pretending it's not there yeah right so 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 what she is concerned with at first is just like okay i gotta save this guy so i can be born yeah and in a lot of time travel in a lot of time travel stories that'd be pretty much where the thing ended okay but um so so what like the bit what sets up i guess act two sure which is most of the book is um she is being whipped okay um by tom i believe uh rufus's dad and she you know the pain is like nothing she has ever experienced and so she like whatever time travel mechanism this is starts to you know go off and she starts to go back to the 1970s and Kevin is running to her, but he is too far away and cannot get to her in time. So she goes back to the present without him, and he is stuck. Okay. And and Tom is beating her because like he he knows something is up with her, and that she is she is more educated than he is comfortable with her being, and she knows how to read and stuff. And so he is said, you know, you can you can read to Rufus because he seems to like you, and and you can like help him with his studies. But I don't want you. I don't want you reading on your own. I don't want you taking books and trying to teach other slaves to read. Like that's just not your place. Yeah. Okay. And so he catches her doing that and totally goes off the handle and starts whipping her. Cause like, cause he is, he is super harsh and he's, you know, he's bad. He's a bad dude. He's but an explicit also bad he is, dude. Okay. But he is also portrayed in, in a certain way as honorable insofar as he does what he says he's gonna do whether like regardless of whether the person he gives his word to is black or white okay which is about as close as you can get to honorable in this book interesting but um so kevin is kevin's stuck in the past woof and she is back in the 70s for eight days oh boy um and so when she goes back when she's called back again to the 19th century it is it's been about 5 years since she was there. Oh cool. And Kevin is like moved on. In in so far as he has left the Wayland house and gone north. Yeah, cuz he can't really say I am waiting for her to reappear. Let me just sit in this room next well, to it's your like son. among among the like even with with Tom like Everybody knows something's up with Dana. Like nobody, people see her just vanish into thin air. They're not just yeah, like, oh, you say, ran he's... off into the woods and now you're back. <laughs> hey, welcome back. Like what's <laughs> they? Okay, okay. Everybody knows. Like Rufus knows the most explicitly, but everybody knows, including many of the, the slaves at the Whalen plantation, that um something's up. Yeah, that something's up with Dana, and she's just gonna like pop in and out. Okay, and and it's related to Rufus somehow. So she goes um, back. It's been five years. It's been five years. And so she like just she has to, you know, she has to help Rufus out of whatever scrape he's in. Usually in these later jumps, it's that he is sick somehow and the doctor is just terrible. And so she has to go back with her aspirins and her like a basic hygiene knowledge and save him. Okay. Um But yeah, so she she is there without kevin's protection and because of that she is like she says earlier on that like she and kevin are kind of like actors playing a part yeah that would make sense in you know when they're both there at the house but when she's there without him like she rufus provides her some level of protection but he's increasingly like aggressive and um 
unpredictable. Okay. And so she is she is having to, you know, act play the not play the part of a slave, but like actually integrate into the rest of the household and Yeah. And um like you mentioned earlier that um that classmate of Butler's who was railing against previous generations of, of black people in America for not like not standing up enough or like not yes. fighting back enough. Yeah. And what Dana realizes through all the interactions she has with other people and the punishments that she herself incurs, she's just learning firsthand what you have to do just to like survive and keep yourself kind of safe and keep your family kind of safe. Yeah, for sure. Um, like she, she definitely, she resists making any character any kind of like mammy or uncle Tom or whatever like derogatory thing you'd, you'd want to say about somebody who's seen as a, as a sympathizer, like somebody, one of the other slaves like tells on Dana once when she tries to run away and the other slaves like beat her up about it. Okay. Yeah. Like kind of, kind of tell, tell her not to do that. But also like, uh, there's a, there's a, um, there's a slave named Alice who Rufus is romantically interested in and who is who is the mother of Dana's ancestor. Okay. Like it's it's Rufus and Alice's kid who is gonna who go is on to Dana's to beget, like great great grandmother or yeah. whatever. Um and so like she has to play nice with Rufus even though he she truly, truly hates him. And then there's there's um Sarah, the woman who kind of runs the household and she is she is complicit in some ways but also she is that way because tom like sold off three of her four kids and she's trying to protect her fourth yeah and just keep them together like it's every and and it's you know this has been also noted in, in scholarship of the book but this isn't just a group of anonymous slaves who are here and they're making a point about slavery and they're all just collectively being used as, as a symbol for, for something like every person, every individual person gets motivations and storylines and reasons why they're here and reason, you know, ways to ways in which they are fighting back even without, you know, casting off the chains of their oppressors, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. There's uh, Um, one of the quotes from, uh, butler about uh it starts about her mother and then goes on to this book um if my mother hadn't put up with all those humiliations i wouldn't have eaten very well or lived very comfortably so i wanted to write a novel that would make others feel the history the pain and fear that black people have had to live through in order to endure um and then the flip side of that is because you're referencing a lot of these characters that do really seem to be very well realized i imagine from you know, inspiration from the number of, uh, from the amount of research that Butler did. Um, cause she, at, I know at one point she even went to, uh, Mount Vernon, uh, George Washington's, uh, plantation where at the time of her research, the guides were calling all the slaves servants rather than enslaved people or slaves. Um, but she also, when you were talking about Tom Whalen, right. Is the last name. Yeah. And you were saying that he has this interesting portrayal that in, involves honor. I was reminded of a bit of research I found where she read a book called Slavery Defended, which I don't know when it was published, but she like those books like that did exist. And a lot of them, you know, argue things well, of like, course, like for there to be an abolitionist side, there yes. has to be a side that exists in opposition to that. Yeah. Know? And and. I wonder if some and of course of, the actual reason is racism. Yes. There's a lot of other stuff that like, people are going like, to convince themselves of and continue to convince themselves of. Yeah. Like terrible economic arguments about how it is useful to have such a hierarchy and, and things like that. Um, oh, and, is, it, is it useful to have free labor that you can treat like garbage? Wow. That's weird. Yeah. Huh? Weird. Um, so I, it's, I was interested. I was surprised to hear that about Tom—that he's not just an evil villain, or at least is 
given moments, not because Butler is trying to exonerate him, but I think it fits into the scholarship that this book seems to have come from. Well, and, and it's and it's used to, again, not to exonerate him, not to make him look like a good dude, but to make the relationship between the white people and the black people like more nuanced. Like yeah. it, it's, mm-hmm. it's used for, for that, especially um, like with, with Rufus, like he is not quite his dad, but he's still a pretty bad guy and a product of his time. And yeah. we are asked to hate and fear him and also like sympathize with him and understand him usually within the space of the same interaction, like for the same reasons sometimes. Sure. Um, there's this bit I wanted to read um, where Dana's on the plantation and has been for a few months. I tried husking corn and blistered my slow, clumsy hands while experienced field hands sped through the work effortlessly, enjoying themselves. There was no reason for me to join them, but they seemed to be making a party of the husking. Rufus gave them a little whiskey to help them along, and I needed a party, needed anything that would relieve my boredom, take my mind off myself. It was a party, all right, a wild, rough kind of party that nobody modified because the master's women, Alice and I, were there. People working near me around the small mountain of corn laughed at my blisters and told me I was being initiated. A jug went around and I tasted it, choked, and drew more laughter. Surprisingly companionable laughter. A man with huge huge muscles told me it was too bad I was already spoken for and that earned me hostile looks from three women. After the work, there were great quantities of food, chicken, pork, vegetables, cornbread, fruit, better food than the herring and corn meal field hands usually saw so much of. Rufus came out to play hero for providing such a good meal, and the people gave him the praise he wanted. Then they made gross jokes about him behind his back. Strangely, they seemed to like him, hold him in contempt, and fear him all at the same time. This confused me because I felt just about the same mixture of emotions for him myself. I thought my feelings were complicated because he and I had such a strange relationship, but then slavery of any kind fostered strange relationships. Only the overseer drew simple, unconflicting emotions of hatred and fear when he appeared briefly, but then it was part of the overseer's job to be hated and feared while the master kept his hands clean. Hmm. So I think that really, that that sums up not just Dana and Rufus's relationship, but a lot of what Butler is is doing yeah sure by yeah by by drawing so many interesting and like thoroughly realized characters both slaves and and whites sure no um, yeah and yeah to, 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 to talk a little bit about the the research that she did this this book is um i believe she's talked in interviews a little bit about um how this is this book is kind of a reaction to both like narratives by whites mm. um, that, mm-hmm. that kind of whitewashed and sanitized things like gone with the wind is one example or um, narratives like roots, which is like pretty widely acclaimed, but also pretty inaccurate. Sure. Um, okay. And, and yeah, she, she realized that she would, even though, I mean, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in this book. And it's been toned down, according to Butler from. from yeah, I saw that all over actual, the place. Yeah. Yeah, what actual life was like. But it is still held to be very well researched and true to what it would have been like. You know? Okay. At least, at least, I think emotionally and in its in its relationships well and it also doesn't sound like it has uh that kind of whitewashed white savior character in it like it doesn't no like kevin's kevin's got flaws and like they they meet and like go back to the present day and like they they are fine but they have unsurprisingly a little bit of trouble like feeling at home in in the 70s especially for the period of the book which is most of it when they don't know like kevin doesn't go back after he makes it home but he was there by himself for five years and there are ways in which that society like even though he is an abolitionist like helping people flee north that time still has left its its marks on him and they have to kind of deal with that okay um, but yeah, Kevin Kevin has flaws. Of course all the slave owners have tons and tons and tons of flaws. Like there's nobody no white person is swooping in to like there's no generous white man who's coming in to give all the black people their rights like there are in like every 
Yes. Oscar bait, the help, like yeah, whatever even, movie. Yeah. There's even that, there was that moment in 12 Years a Slave, which was a really powerful and affecting movie, but when like Brad Pitt shows up and you're like, I, I don't, okay. Well, or even like like Hidden Figures, which is which has got tons of yes. great black characters in it, but also there's still that gruff white man who is going down and tearing the colored sign off the bathroom, and he's like doing his part to, and and like yeah, of course, if you're going to win power at some point, you're going to need to win over some of the people who are oppressing you. But yeah, that like white savior character is so often a fixture of of that kind of story that it is. It is, I don't know if refreshing is the word, but it is very, no, it's, it's notable yes. in its absence here. Yeah, and I've read similar things about, what's his name, The Hobbit, what's his name? Martin Freeman? Martin Freeman's character in Black Panther, on both sides of him as kind of a, as the white sidekick in that film, and ways in which that is and is not successful uh, as, a, as an alternative to your your white savior yeah we um, we have both talked about this to each other but i very much there was a tweet about black panther that said i from from a white person who said i i enjoyed being represented in black panther as the middle-aged white person who came in to help when it was appropriate yes yep <laughs> which is i think at our best what we are trying to do yeah and and, and all the more interesting in this story where that that savior figure can become even is even is the most problematic right because what you're saying about tom and rufus is is really about how this was just how it was regardless of how you know for a for a broad majority of people abolitionism was the the risky stance was and even then, that's not a perfect or I mean, especially in the, in, the, in the South. Yeah. Yes. Um, and also noteworthy, I think, right, that it takes place so much earlier than the Civil War when. Yeah, it's not it's not right before. And Dana has that thought a couple times is like. By the time these people are freed, they will be like by the time the people I am with right now are freed, they will be too old to like really yes. help build things yeah for sure um and then the people in power will be old and and will not uh it will not mean as much perhaps to take yeah. that power away from and, them. and it completely it also completely removes the even remotest possibility sure. that dana herself will be thrust into the center of the abolitionist movement yes in some or, way. or like an explicit civil war conflict or something right. like that yeah. that would make it way easier of a narrative to handle and yeah and there is a version of this book that is more like big and adventure and yes. neat that does that instead of what it's doing and sure. i don't i think ultimately you know, it could be it could be done well, but it would not be, I don't think, as interesting as this is. Sure. How does it where does it land? I, this is not necessarily a spoilery book and you don't need to get into like details, but what is like the mood it leaves you with or what is the take? What is like the last few moments like given you as a reader? I mean, it's it is just it's more of what we've talked about in some ways like the the what what i haven't talked about as much that i think if you want to read this book you should go do it for this because it's a thing like i don't really have to spoil if i don't want to um but there is a lot of stuff about the relationship like the triangle between alice and dana who both look alike and are kind of set up as these different elements of the same person, at least to Rufus, like sure. Dana is, he is not interested in her sexually for a long time, at least. And kind of depends on her emotionally and intellectually. And then Alice is the person he wants physically who just does not have even, even like the sympathy and understanding that Dana has for him. Yes, of course. Of course. Um, and so the the end of the book is mostly about that triangle and that tension resolving itself. Okay. Um, Dana's ancestor is born 
So that, you know, that near the end, like within the last like 10 or 15% of the book, again, because I read Kendall and I don't know what paid numbers are anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, that that gets set up and, and resolved. And so the end of the book is more about that, like interpersonal. Okay relationship and i don't i don't want to spoil that i don't think but yeah it, it's more of exploring the nuances of their relationships and the complexities of of slaves and slave owners and how there is like there there is no such thing i guess we can cap it with this like there is there is a like a far right white supremacist movement in america today that has a distressing amount of power and space in our public conversation Mm. and it like a lot of a lot of that movement is set up around like racial purity and like listen like so many white nationalist movements over the years and in countries all over the world like it's predicated on this notion of racial purity that just does not exist oh sure white people and white slave owners had so many kids with all of their slaves that there is just like it's just it's just not a thing like you you can't to be american is to is to have to grapple with that and you you can say you know we came over from europe and you were all about preserving that culture and whatever whatever but that to, to do that is to ignore it, this this huge like America's original sin and yeah. that just it sucks. Well, I've and you and you can't. Like you could tell yourself that you can do that, but you can't do it. Yeah, I'm reminded of a, a quote that didn't fit earlier in the episode where she's talking about um goes back to that idea of um what evolutionary step forward humanity might need to take to overcome this type of hierarchical nonsense. Uh, and she says, what's made of biology is that the people who are in power are going to figure out why this is a good reason for them to stay in power. Um, and I don't know, that just reminded, there's, it's a longer quote about how uh, you see biological arguments used for why, you know, certain groups of people are not as good at things. And it's all bogus. Um, but yeah, that original sin of America, this like, the the social construct and white supremacist construct of race that is separate from like maybe where your ancestors are from um and how that how those two get conflated in a way that's very dangerous um and has been weaponized for centuries it's like it's kind of a bummer because star trek is such an optimistic (laughs) show right yeah sure and it is so often hailed for that but as the lore expands, it becomes clear that stri- like civil wars and stri- like interspecies strife on Earth only really ends when we can find an other outside of ourselves. Yep. Yep. And we can define we can define ourselves as humans in opposition to something that is not human and is not a foe, but could conceivably be. And like it's still it's still wicked racist. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the the answer I it sucks that maybe the answer is just we need Another something other. else that we can all be racist against. Like can we just can we invent can we invent a fictitious race of aliens that we find that like bands Ooh. humanity together? Andrew, I figured it out. What? Corporations. Ooh, what if yeah. we all just agreed to hate corporations? I mean, they I, are people. You're not gonna get any argument from me, I don't think. Hmm. This is worth considering. Mm-hmm. This Listen, might be I, the way like forward. as part of my as part of Susanna's birthday weekend. I just spent <laughs> an hour and a half paying another human being to rub oils into my skin. So, like, I'm feeling particularly complicit in capitalism right now yeah sure (laughs) but but like come back to me after the you know after my muscles hurt again and i will be totally cool to like rise up and smash our uh corporate oppressors with you okay that sounds good um (laughs) any listeners out there who want to join us in this battle uh please uh 
tell us your weapon of choice, hit us an email at overduepod at gmail.com or use social media, twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. I uh, thank a bunch of folks who reached out in the past week, including Caitlin, Michael, Wallace, Graham, Aaron, James, Becky, R.A., Tracy, Carol, Amy, Le- Jake, Leanne, Steve, Melissa, Florian, Casey, Allison, and Glenn. Thanks, y'all. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to Google Play, iTunes, RSS. Um, if you subscribe in iTunes, which I guess is called Apple Podcasts now. Whatever. I don't know, man. If you subscribe in whatever that Apple thing is, rate and review us because it helps us rise in the rankings and it makes us look good. Gives us curb appeal. Capitalism. <laughs> Capitalism. Uh, <laughs> and also speaking of capitalism, up there on the website we have a Patreon page. You can you can kick us a few bucks if you like what we're doing and you can get some rewards. Yep. That's, money can be exchanged for goods and services, which is what capitalism is about. Yes. <laughs> is there anything else? What are we? Do we know what we're doing for March yet, reading-wise? I know we have a bonus episode coming up. Maybe we talk about that. Uh, we have a bonus episode that'll hit the main feed this week on Meg Howery's The Crane's Dance. The next book I'm reading uh, is The Time Traveler's Wife okay. by Audrey Niffenegger? Niffen... Hmm... I got to look that up. But the time traveler's wife. And then we'll have the rest of the March schedule up on all our feeds uh, this week sometime, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, So that's that. Andrew, thanks for reading this book. You're welcome. Thanks for reminding me of what this book was. Thanks for having maybe read this book many years ago. You're welcome. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.